in this place and um, this evening. Um, how many are ready to hear the word of God? Ready to hear the word of God? And I wanted to say that last week we had a great time here in the house of the Lord. Pastor Ruben preaching out of the book of Romans. And man, just this series has uh, just been a series where I have wanted to grow in the word of God and grow in the book of Romans and, and seeing all the great things that God has done in our life. But I want to ask you a question. How many here tonight have been blessed by this series, the book of Romans? Amen. Praise God. That's awesome. And tonight we're going to continue. And tonight's title is God's Mercy. Why don't we say that as a church? God's Mercy. All right. And I remember about maybe 10 years ago, I was driving to work really early in the morning. It was still dark. And how many of you guys know about going to work that early where it's still dark? We all, we all know about that. And I was going, and it was, I was kind of rushing. I was running, running a little bit late. And I was going at an accelerated speed. So I was going in this highway, and I passed the car. And all of a sudden, I passed it. And I was not really looking back, but all of a sudden, I seen these lights turn on. And the sheriff came up behind me. He pulled me over, and he said, do you know how fast you were going? I said, um... I don't remember what I said. <laughs> I really don't. But he goes, you know what, where are you going? I said, I'm going to work. And he said, I'm going to give you one chance. Go ahead and go. And I said, God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your mercy. But how many of us know sheriffs are not always like that? But God, the God that we serve is the God of mercy this evening. We're going to go ahead and pray Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for what you've been doing this, this series. We thank you for what you did last week. Lord, and right now I just pray, Lord, that I would decrease, Lord, and that you would increase in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we pray tonight, Lord, that you would encourage hearts, you would strengthen lives, you would help us, Lord, to understand, Lord, that you are um, a God of mercy, Lord. And I pray that you would help us, Lord God, to, to let that characteristic be part of our lives as well, with our friends, Lord, with our family, with our coworkers, God. I pray, Lord, that you would give us strength, that you would give us uh, your power, Lord. I pray right now that you lead my words and that you would get all the glory and all the honor and all of God's people said, amen. amen and amen. You know, when you and I came to God, what was the thing that touched us the most? It, 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 most, it was the, the love of God and it was the mercy of God that really put us in the place where you were like, you know what, man, I know I want to serve God because how merciful he's been inside of my life. And uh, Pastor Ruben was talking about that a little bit last week, about justification, how you and I, we come to God and we're dead in our trespasses. But God, what does he do? Through the blood of Jesus, he justifies us and he has mercy inside of our life. We're going to be looking at four things of God's mercy um, that we see through chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, and chapter 12. And four things that will help us to grow in that characteristic of God's mercy. Um, Book of Romans, chapter 9, and verse 14, the Bible says this. What then shall we say, is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Verse 17. But scripture says to Pharaoh, I raise you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, that my might will be proclaimed in all the earth. In verse 14, the Bible says, uh, verse 18, the Bible says, therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. 
Now, you read this text in chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11. Um, their texts were talking about Israel and talking about the Gentiles. And we were talking about how Gentiles are non-Jews. That's you and I. And uh, the Jews, as they came to, to God, they began to see all the promises of God. They had the covenants uh, when they were chosen out of Israel, I mean, out of Egypt. They had the covenants. They had the patriarchs. They had the blessings. They had the promises. But as you and I read the word of God, we see that what happened with Israel is they began to reject the purpose of God. And when they rejected the purpose of God, what happened was all of a sudden those blessings, those promises, they came to the Gentile believers. And that's why you and I, we should be excited that those promises are for us as well. For us as well. But looking at this text, looking at Pharaoh, looking at Moses, you see that the Bible says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he, he rejected the purpose of God inside of his life. And we look at Moses' life and we see that Moses' heart was a soft heart. And he said, you know, he was a man who was being able to be used by God because he had what? He had a soft heart. Some people say, well, you know what, that sounds kind of unfair that God would harden Pharaoh's heart. But you and I, to understand this right here, we have to go to the book of Exodus chapter 7 and to see when God began to deal with Pharaoh's heart. The Bible says in the book of Exodus chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, it says this in verse 14. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let my people go. He refuses to let my people go. The first, time, the first nine times it talked about Pharaoh's heart, it referenced Pharaoh's heart as his heart being unyielding, as his heart being hard, as him hardening his heart. If you study the book of uh, Romans chapter 1 and verse 24, it talks about how when someone continually rejects God, continually rejects God, that God gives them over to their a retrobate mind, a hard heart. Someone who says, you know what, I don't need God, I don't want God. That's what happens when someone continually rejects the Lord. Now, looking at Moses' life, looking at Pharaoh's life, Pharaoh was proud, he was conceited, he was oppressive. He did not listen to the commands of God. When Moses, on the other hand, he was humble, he listened to the voice of God, he had a teachable spirit, and he protected those people under his care. We study the book of Romans, chapter 9, and it talks about that God will have compassion on whom he will have compassion on. It's actually a reference from the book of Exodus, chapter 33, verse 12 through about 18, where God was meeting with Moses. And Moses came to God and said, God, I'm not going to go anywhere without your presence. How many of you know we want the presence of God inside of our life? He said, God, I'm not going to go anywhere without your presence. He goes, if you don't go with me with these people, then just take my life. I don't, want, I don't even want to go forward. But, Lord, go with me. And all of a sudden, he began to ask God all these questions, these powerful questions. And God began to uh, download something inside of his life. And this is something that you and I should ask God as well, too. But he, he told God in verse 13 of chapter 33, he said, teach me your ways. Teach me your ways, God. He was telling God, God, teach me your ways. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a teachable spirit for God to download to, for God to bring instruction in your life? Or do we come to that place like Pharaoh where we're proud and say, you know what, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to let you guys go. I'm not going to let this issue go. And Pharaoh, he was a, an example of pride and arrogance and conceit. This man literally thought he was a god. 
Moses, on the other hand, the Bible talks about him and says he's the humblest man to ever live. And he's the one who wrote that. He wrote the first four books, five books of the Bible. Can you imagine writing that about yourself? I'm the most humblest man to ever live. That's pretty humble. He said, God, teach me your ways. How does God teach us his ways? He uses our pastors. He uses men of God who God has placed over us, women of God that God has uh, placed over us. Who does he use? Our parents, our ministry leaders. God uses those people to teach us his ways. And Pharaoh, he goes, you know what? God, I don't want to listen to your ways. He had a hard heart, a hard heart this evening. How is your heart? Are you teachable? Are you moldable? Or is your heart hard? God wants you and I to have a heart like Moses, humble, listening to the voice of God, teachable, protecting the people that are under our care. Verse 15 of chapter 33 of the book of Exodus, Moses asked for God's presence inside of his life. Oh, man, we need the presence of God every day. Every day we need the presence of God. If you're single, you need the presence of God. If, if you don't have the presence of God, you're going to be lonely. In your marriage, you need the presence of God. If you don't have the presence of God in your marriage, you're going to be lonely too. You need the presence of God. Why? Because the presence of God gives direction. It gives protection. It gives understanding. It revives. It moves the cloud, the fog from our minds. When the presence of God comes in, the enemy has to scatter and flee. You and I, we want the presence of God working inside of our life. Why? Because there's joy. There's everlasting joy in the presence of God. And Moses said, God, give me your presence, God. I want your presence inside of my life. As they were worshiping today, we could feel the tangible presence of God here in this place. They're saying, God, I give you all my problems. Some of you are thinking about what am I going to eat? Am I going to go to Wiener Schnitzel after church today? But as you began to worship, all those thoughts of hot dogs and hamburgers and In-N-Out Burger, all those, they began to leave your mind. Why? Because the presence of God changes our mind. It changes our heart. It changes our situation. If you're here today and you go home and you don't want to go home, I want to say you can take the presence of God with you as you begin to worship God, as you begin to praise God. Maybe you live in a hostile environment. Maybe you don't want to go home. I challenge you, turn on some worship music, begin to praise God, begin to speak in tongues, begin to glorify God with all of your heart. And I will tell you one thing, the enemy will have to flee because God inhabits the praises of his people. He inhabits those praises of his people. Moses said, God, give me your presence. Verse 18, he asked God, this is amazing. He said, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory, God. Pharaoh's heart and Moses' heart. One was hard, unyielding. The other was open, humble, teachable to God. When you think about God and how great he is, the Bible says in the book of Psalms, chapter 147, verse 4, it says, he determines the number of the stars and he calls each of them by name. Wow. God calls each star by name. That's amazing. Now, if there was 100 stars, that wouldn't really be too bad. But I can't remember 100 names. Maybe you can. 
a thousand stars. Now that's to know a thousand stars' names, that's phenomenal. That's genius. But in the Milky Way galaxy, there's 400 billion stars. That's in our galaxy. And God knows each of them by name. Now you might say, oh, that's pretty good. No, that's really good. That's beyond a million, a million. You think about a million, a million. That's a lot, but a billion, a billion, four billion. To count to a billion, it'll take me 32 years if I never sleep. But there's 400 billion stars in our galaxy. And God knows each and every one of them by name. You say, God's great. How many of you know God's great? Wow, God is great. Scientists, they don't know how many galaxies there is, though. They estimate there could be 4 billion to 2 trillion. They don't know. So that just shows that God is greater. And for you and I to say, you know what, God, I, I really don't understand. Like, why do you do, you know, what you do? Why did you harden Pharaoh's heart and not Moses's? We see in the text that Pharaoh's heart was hard. He hardened it first. But to question God, Paul talks about that in chapter 9. He goes, who are you to question God? You're a mere man. Can the potter make the, the pottery the way he wants to make it and fashion it the way he wants to make it? Who are you to say and who am I to say because God is so beyond us. The Bible says that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways. Our minds cannot fathom, they cannot comprehend how great, how truly great God is. Mercy of God. It's something that we, a lot of times we try to figure out. But God is all-knowing, knowing the number of stars, knowing the end from the beginning. God knows the end from the beginning. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 46 verse 10, it says, I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come, I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. God says, I am all-knowing. I know the end from the beginning. And you and I, we have to trust in the mercy of God, knowing that what? That he is greater. And that you and I, we can come to God with a humble spirit like Moses saying, God, teach me your ways. Show me your ways. But we don't want to get the heart of Pharaoh saying, God, you know what? I know better than you. The second thing we're going to be looking at is proclaiming God's mercy. Book of Romans chapter 10, verse 14, the Bible says this. It says, how then can they call on one who they've not believed in? And how can they believe in one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? The Bible says in verse 15, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent as is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. I want you to look at your feet right now. You know, if you have told somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ recently, you have some really beautiful feet. If you haven't, maybe your feet, you need to go out there and tell somebody about the Lord. 
The Bible says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news, verse 16. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith cometh by hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. One of the things we see right here is it's impossible for people to hear about the good news without someone telling them the good news. Paul, he talked about three things right here. He said, how can they know unless someone tells them? How can they know unless someone sent to them? You and I as believers of Christ, you and I, we have the good news to share to the world about how good God is. You know, our coworkers can't read our minds. You're saying Jesus in your mind, Jesus loves you in your mind. They're not going to hear that. It's when you and I proclaim God's word that they're able to see and hear. And the Bible says that the power is in the gospel. There's no other way for people to come to Christ unless you and I proclaim the gospel to them. So that brings us to the question, when was the last time I told someone about Christ? When was the last time I shared the good news with somebody? When was the last time I proclaimed the gospel to someone else? Proclaiming the good news. There was, a, uh, there was a Christian businessman in the 1970s who this man, he had a young, about 30-year-old man who was working under him at Merrill Lynch over there in New York City. And they were over there working. The young man that he noticed, he began to share the gospel with him. The young man was into Eastern meditation to the New Age movement. The young man had just left his wife, left his daughter. He was making bad choices, looking for inner peace, looking for happiness. He was involved in all these New Age doctrines. And he, this young man had a spirit guy that was leading him. He didn't even know it was a, a demonic spirit. So the guy just kept on telling him about the Lord. And he began to find out that this young man was an orthodox, grew up in an Orthodox Jew, Jewish home. He knew the Torah. The Christian businessman began to tell him how Christ was found in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And how the Messiah, Jesus, could change his life. This young man, he didn't really know what to believe. He, he didn't know, should I trust in Jesus? You know, I, I think it, it's really found in, in this thing and that thing. He was searching everywhere, trying to make money. He was successful. He did a lot of things in this world, but he was empty and he was searching. One night, this young man was going to sleep. As he was going to sleep, that spirit God that he had began to torment him. He was into meditation, and all of a sudden, this demonic force began to torment him, and he was fearful, he was scared, and he remembered the Christian businessman that told him the gospel, and he said, Jesus, if you're real, help me right now, and he fell asleep. He woke up with peace. He woke up with joy. He woke up with purpose, and that day, his life was changed. He said, I am going to begin to serve Jesus Christ with all of my heart and all of my soul. And now this guy is making a tremendous impact throughout the world. He's a Messianic Jew. Many of you know who he is, Sid Roth. And this man is making a tremendous impact. Why? Because one Christian businessman told him the good news of Jesus Christ. You don't know who you're touching you don't know who you're ministering to. When you tell somebody the good news of Christ, when you proclaim the message, when you proclaim the gospel, when you tell somebody that God loves them, that Christ is the answer, it changes lives. And Sid Roth, 
He's leading a, a, a tremendous movement of seeing people give their lives over to the Lord and also Jews, pe Jewish people giving their lives to Christ and becoming followers of the Lord. They're called Messianic Jews. And that brings us to chapter 11. God's mercy on the nation of Israel. You know, when you think about Jewish people, you know, okay, you might say, well, I really don't know about them. I know that many of them rejected Christ. But the reality is this, is that our Savior was Jewish. Reality is that the Bible was written in Hebrew. Jewish authors wrote the Bible. Uh, one of the books in the, the New Testament that we don't know if it's a Jewish person, it's called the book of Hebrews. So obviously it's a Jewish person. <laughs> they don't say who they are in the letter. Some people say it was Paul, Apollos, Aquila, Priscilla. So you and I, as people of God, we have a banner on the outside of the church that says, pray for Israel. Pray for Israel. Now, anti-Semitism is something that's on the rise even now. And people are not valuing the Jewish nation. Many people are coming against them. And there's there always been an oppression, uh, oppression against God's people. And we see right here that God, he opened up the, the windows of heaven, began to bless the Gentiles, you and I as believers. But not only did he bless us, he never forgot about Israel. He never forgot about Israel. And you and I are reaping the blessings because of the Israelites. We have the word of God. We have the patriarchs. We have the promises. We have the covenant. We have our Messiah, Jesus Christ, who came from the line of Israel. Praise God. Who in the Hebrew name is Yeshua Yamashiach. And as we begin to study the word of God, you can't get away from the Jewishness of it and seeing, you know, the feasts, the feasts and uh, the traditions and even the law, how it all points to Christ. The Bible says in chapter 11, verse 29, talking about the nation of Israel, says, the gifts and the calling are irrevocable. I like the way the message puts that verse. It says these words. It says, God's gift and God's call are under full warranty, never canceled. Yet, Paul, he began to grapple with this reality. He began to grapple with, man, the Jews, they rejected the Savior. Many of them rejected the Savior. Is, is God still, is the promise still for the Israelites? Is it just for the Gentiles? Because in the church in Rome, there was many uh, Gentile believers who, man, they're going full force. They're, they're, they're just going forward. They're, they're serving God with all their hearts. But inside that same church, there is Jewish people there. And they feel like maybe they're being overlooked. They're, they're there serving God, but the, there, there's, this, uh, there's this tension between the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers. And the Gentiles are saying, you guys rejected the Christ. And the Jewish believers are saying, you guys need to be, uh, you follow the law. And there's this tension going on between two of these factions. And all of a sudden, Paul begins to say, no, you guys are together. But it's rooted in what? The roots the sap, it comes from Israel. The blessings come from Israel. And those are the benefits that you're reaping. 
verse 11, he speaks about a stumbling, how the, Israel, the Israelite nation, they stumbled. They rejected God. They rejected his laws in the Old Testament. Verse 25, it talks about the hardening of their heart, how their, their heart was hard, their, that they closed their eyes, that their ears, they didn't want to hear God's message, God's prophets, God's promises, and they rejected what God wanted to do in their life for their nation. But two things I want to mention, that their hardening was only partial. There's always been a remnant of Israelite believers. There's always been a remnant of believers who said, you know what, we're going to serve God. We're going to serve God with all of our heart. There's always been a remnant. You think about the Old Testament. You think about Elijah when he came to God and said, God, I, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one serving God. Have you ever felt like that? You're the only one serving God. I'm the only one serving God. That's a lie from the devil. There's people going through worse things than you right now and serving God. And they're praising God, and they're worshiping God, and they're, glowing, they're going forward for God. And you might, you might even be sitting next to them, and you don't even know it. But Elijah began to pour out this complaint, God, he goes, God, I'm the last one left. And, and God, he, he quickened him and said, you know what, Elijah, I have a remnant of 4,000 who have not bowed down to the Baals. God has always had a remnant. God has always had a remnant of people that say, you know what, we're going to serve God with all of our hearts. Even in the New Testament, after uh, Jesus had died, there was a remnant. All the apostles, they were Jewish. A remnant of Israelite believers serving the Lord. And you and I are blessed with the New Testament. We're blessed with the book of James. We're blessed with Philippians, Ephesians. We're blessed with the book of uh, all these books. Why? Because a remnant of Jewish believers said, you know what, we're going to continue to serve Yeshua, Jesus. The second thing I want to say, you might say, well, man, the, the Jewish people, their heart got hard. Uh, you know what? We begin to judge them and begin to get angry at them. But their hardening made us fruitful. The Bible says in verse 11 of the message, it says, when they walked out, they left the door open that the outsiders walked into. The outsiders are us. The Jewish people were the insiders. When they walked out, all of a sudden, imagine this big buffet going on. And there's all kinds of good food. And all of a sudden, the people that are there that were invited there, they don't want to eat. And they walk out. And they begin to storm out. And the place is empty. The only one that's there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're in there. They want to give the food out. And all of a sudden, a hungry Gentile comes to the door knocking and smells the food. Says, man, it smells pretty good in here. What are you serving? And God the Father says, come in because of what my son did for you on Calvary. All of a sudden we rush in, all as Gentile believers, we begin to eat. We begin to feast on the promises of God. We begin to feast on the covenants of God. We begin to feast on the word of God. We begin to feast on all the blessings of God that were not only for the Israelites, but also for the Gentile believers, you and I, that you and I could walk into and begin to feast. And, and all of a sudden, the Bible says as we're in there feasting, that the Israelite nation begins to look at us and envy us. Going, man, it's so good what they're doing. Why didn't we do that? But as Gentile believers, we don't go, you guys can't come in here. Because there's more than enough to go around. And we say, come on in. Come on in. Let's worship. Let's praise God. Let's give God glory. That's what takes place in the end times. We're going to see it happen in an accelerated rate 
with Jewish believers and Gentile believers serving the Lord before the Lord comes back. And you and I will be united as one. United as one. You might say, well, what's the big deal about blessing Israel? You want to. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 12, it says that God will bless those who bless the Israelites and he'll curse those who curse the Israelites. So you and I, we want to have a, uh, we want to bless them. We want to, uh, one way we can bless them, the Bible talks about in Psalms chapter 122, it says that we want to pray for the peace of Israel and pray for its prosperity. And that's why we have that nice banner out there. Why? Because we're praying for Jer Jerusalem. We're praying for Israel. We're praying for God's protection and God's peace. Why? Because they're God's people, chosen by God. In 1948, May 14th, um, the nation of Israel, well, it, it became a nation that day. But in Jerusalem, there was, at that time, there was only a handful of Messianic Jews who believed that the Messiah was Christ, that the Messiah had already come. Only a handful. Very small. There were no congregations there. None whatsoever. None. In 2017, in Israel, there is over 300 Messianic congregations over there right now. Over 300. And it's growing. And that was a very conservative estimation there. 300 Messianic congregations. Now that's a big deal there in Israel. Christian members there, people have said, you know what, I've given my life over to the Lord. I'm serving Jesus Christ. 30,000 people there saying, I am Messianic Jew. I'm serving the Lord. I'm going forward for God. And they're seeing the Old Testament revealing Christ. And surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. We pray for the Israelites. We pray for Israel. We pray for the Jews. You and I, when you meet one, share the gospel. Share who the Messiah is. They begin to see that. They begin to watch you, examine you. And they see that you're really going forward for God. I want to say, it will change their life. It will blow the paradigm of the Old Testament away. And they go, man, I need Jesus. I see Jesus in the Torah. I see Jesus in the book of Proverbs. They will say, you know what, I am going to serve God. Pray for them. Don't be scared of them. Pray for them. God's mercy on Israel. God's mercy on us. Wow. So if God has had mercy on Israel, if God has mer mercy on the Gentiles as believers, we want to have mercy on others. Chapter 12 Verse 8, the Bible says this, if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Everyone say, show mercy. You say, Pastor, you don't know what they did to me. I just want to sock their lights out after church. <laughs> you don't know what my husband said to me on the way to church. You don't know what my daughter did. You don't know, what, and you know, but God's word says, show mercy. And you and I, we want to show mercy. What helps us show mercy is that you and I come to the realization that we've been shown mercy from Christ. That God has showed us mercy inside of our lives. We can never forget his mercy. We can never forget what he's done. The Bible says in verse 14, it says, bless those who persecute you. Wow. Those who persecute me, I'm to bless them? God says in his word, bless those 
who persecute you. He goes on to say, and bless and do not curse. Curse is to speak negatively of a person, of a situation. God says bless, and then look at verse 17. It gets really good. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. Verse 18, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, for vengeance is mine, said the Lord. Verse 20, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head. If we could have the worship team come up here tonight. If your enemy's hungry, give him something to eat. What if you're driving down the street and you see your enemy there and they're broken down? Side of their car, they see they have a flat tire. What do you do? Do you keep on going? Do you go, oh, thank you, Jesus, you got it for me. <laughs> see, God, you're so faithful. <laughs> Stick it to them, Lord. No, the Bible says something different. It says if your enemy is hungry to feed them. It says in doing so, you're going to keep some burning coals on their head. And inside of our lives, we've all been in those places where we have enemies, we have frenemies, we have people that don't like us, that talk bad about us, that misuse us, that misunderstand us. What do we do? Do we say, you know what? I'm going to get them back. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm going to, I hope they get hurt. But God says in his word, show mercy to bless them with your words. To bless them. If they're in need, to bless them. Not to persecute them. See, no one ever solved a problem with these fists. You, you don't solve problems with this. You get people more angry, you get them more bitter, more resentful. It's not until you and I say, God, I give these offenses and I lay them down at your altar, God. Vengeance is yours, it's not mine. I trust you, Lord, that you're going to take care of this situation and what's going on inside of my life. You might say, well, what's the big deal? Why should I do that? Well, let me tell you this. The reason why you should do that is because... No one has ever overcame the devil using evil. You don't. There's no way. There's no way you can overcome evil with evil. It just gets more evil, more hurt, more devastation when you try to overcome evil with evil, unforgiveness with unforgiveness, bitterness with bitterness, gossip with gossip, backbiting with backbiting, fighting with fighting. It doesn't solve anything. But God's word, Paul, he breaks it down. He made, it's so simple. It's really so simple. Look at your neighbor and say, it's so simple. It's really so simple. It really is. He says these words. He goes, do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You and I, as people of God, 
We don't fight our battles the way we used to do before we met Jesus. We don't fight our battles with our fists. We don't fight our battles in the flesh. You and I, we fight in the spirit. And the way we fight in the spirit is by overcoming evil with good that you and I say, you know what? I'm going to bless them with my words. Lord, I'm going to bless them with my actions, God. I'm going to bless them, Lord God. I'm going to bless them. And you know why I'm going to bless them? Because I'll never forget, Lord, when I didn't deserve your mercy, you had mercy on me, God. And the way they don't deserve mercy, God, I'm going to have mercy on them. We don't overcome evil with evil. You never will. It'll never happen. But we overcome evil with good. You might say, man, Pastor Danny, my marriage is all messed up. My wife is evil. My husband's evil. Overcome them with good. Bless them. Bless them. Bless them. Bless them. Bless them with your words. Bless them with your actions. Bless them saying, you know what, I'm going to love them. I'm going to love them unconditionally. Maybe you have a boss at your work who's yelling at you, who's rioting you, who's just being very, very angry to you and mean to you. Guess what? Overcome that that situation with good. Overcome that situation with what? Speaking blessings by being a good employee. By saying, you know what? I'm going to serve them as I would serve Christ. As I would serve Christ, I'm going to serve them. This evening, we all need the mercy of God. If we could all stand this evening in reverence.